The Lord be with you. Welcome to Thin Places, the podcast channel of St. Aidan's Anglican Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. I'm Father Lee, the pastor here at St. Aidan's, and I want to invite you to join me here each week as we join together to share common prayer, common worship, and common life. And just as the streams feed the trees on their banks till they pour in the seas, so may my life be to all those who share this wilderness road. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke in the fifth chapter. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little way from the shore. And he sat down and taught the crowd from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come in and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength and you are our Redeemer. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I invite you to be seated. So we are going to continue talking about the creed this morning, all right? The creed means, I believe, or we believe, and believe means trust, right? Believe means trust. So everything that we say in the creed, we're saying that we trust in God. That's what we're saying. The creed that we say every single week, the the thing that we say to help us to prepare our hearts for communion, the thing that we say after after having heard God's word spoken to us, is we say we trust in God. And God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Now I have a question for you guys this morning. If you could describe yourself in one word, how would you describe yourself? Jeremiah. 
<laughs> I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's true. Maybe creative, energetic, passionate. Yeah. Michaela, what about you? Yeah, it's kind of a hard question, isn't it? It's really hard to sort of sum up what we think of ourselves in one word because we're not that simple, right? It's really hard to see ourselves as one particular thing. What were you going to say, Jeremiah? What were you going to say? Generous. That's a good word, too. I like that. The question is, what makes you, you? And it's hard to put that into one single word, isn't it? I learned something really interesting this week that I thought I would share with you guys. Have you ever thought about how a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? Yeah? Can you describe for me what you think happens when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? Hmm? What do you think? I think it kind of falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Kind of like being body like kind of morphs into uh-huh what a butterfly sort of transforms yeah jeremiah what do you think what what do you think happens to a a, a a caterpillar when it turns into a butterfly that's a good guess too yeah quinn did you have a guess buddy what do you think Yeah, that could be. Uh huh. Well, it was really confusing to scientists for a long time because a lot of times when I, you know, when I did a science project when I was in second grade about caterpillars turning into moths, and you know, I collected all the little cocoons and I, you know, I showed the different stages of of metamorphosis. But when scientists took those little cocoons or the chrysalis and they would cut it open, we would think, well, there's probably a caterpillar in there that's changing. But when they cut it open, do you know what they found? Mush. There was just goop inside there. There was no animal inside the cocoon. It was just goop inside the cocoon. Inside that chrysalis was nothing. And they thought, well, maybe it like dissolves and then somehow comes back together. It's, it, it was a mystery for a very, very long time until a few years ago, somebody was doing some very, very detailed research on caterpillars and they began to dissect the caterpillars. And when they dissected the caterpillars, do you know what they found? Inside the caterpillar, almost invisible, are all of the parts that will become a butterfly. So a caterpillar forms a chrysalis around itself, and then it dissolves all of that old self away, and then there's something inside that we couldn't even see or knew about before that begins to grow, and it transforms into something completely different. But inside that caterpillar, all along, are all of the things that will make that caterpillar a butterfly. Everything that makes a butterfly a butterfly is already there. Now, last week we talked about the Council of Nicaea, right? That all of the leaders from the church got together at one place and they said, we need to have a very clear definition of what it means to be Christian, of what it means to be the church. What do we believe? Who is this God that we trust in? And one of the questions, one of the core questions is what makes God, God? 
What makes God, God? That word is a word that we say every time that we recite the creed, when we say, of one being with the Father. Of one being with the Father. Jesus, we say in the creed every week, is God in the same way that the Father is God, in the same way that the Holy Spirit is God. Their being is there. It's the same, always the same. And not only is Jesus the same being as the Father, God the same way that the Father is God, but Jesus is also, for us, the most perfect, the clearest image of what the Father looks like, of what the Holy Spirit looks like. If we want to understand, if we want to know God, all that we have to do is to look at Jesus because Jesus reveals God to us. At the same time that the Nicene Council put together the creed that we say together every single week, there was a bishop in a city called Milan and his name was Ambrose. And Ambrose was a wonderful theologian, but even more than being a theologian, St. Ambrose loved to write hymns. And so I want to read to you guys a hymn. This is a beautiful hymn that St. Ambrose wrote that teaches us about God. He says, if you need healing, he is your doctor. If you need help, he is your strength. If you fear death, He is your life. If you desire heaven, he is your way. If you are fleeing from the darkness, he is your light. If you need food, he is your nourishment. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I want us to think about that this week. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Is good, And we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we're back together next week. All right? Let's say our prayer. Holy God, holy, mighty, holy, immortal one, have mercy upon us. Amen. So at the beginning of this week, there was a very strange news article that popped up in my feed. And the news article that popped up in my feed was a warning for all residents of Miami to be aware of falling iguanas. <laughs> it was the falling iguana notice from the Florida Department of Wildlife. <laughs> Every year, whenever there's a cold snap that hits Florida, especially when it's a, a hard cold snap that hits southern Florida, the iguanas start falling out of the trees. See, there aren't native iguanas in Florida, although at this point it's sort of difficult to not refer to them as native, but the ecologists insist that they are not natives, even though they've lived there for probably at this point dozens of generations. They're not natives. (laughs) We'll get into that discussion another time. They're an invasive species. And so they're not used to environments where they have cold snaps. And of course, being reptiles, when it gets cold, all of their systems begin to slow, slow, slow down. And they go into a comatose state, which is fine for most reptiles, but green iguanas are arboreal. They live up in trees. And so when it gets cold, they just sort of go, ha, 
And off they come, off of the trees. And there's pictures all over the, the, the Florida wildlife websites. You can see these iguanas just laying on the ground in the park. There's an iguana over there. Usually it's not, it, it's not lethal. They, they wake up once the sun comes out and warms them up a little bit. But especially at nighttime and especially early morning, if you go jogging in the, in, in the parks around Miami, you have to watch out for falling iguanas. We don't think about Florida getting cold, uh, but it does. And, and most of my memories of Florida are of Florida being cold. Um, I think most of you know that my, my family is, is from Florida. Um, that's where my dad's side of the family still lives. Uh, that was where I was born, where my sister was born. And when we would go back to visit, it was more often than not around Christmas time. When we were younger, we would go on longer trips uh, where, where we would you know, be there for, for a couple of weeks during the summer. But as we got older and life got busier, the trips became more holiday-centered. And so we would be there at wintertime. And of course, around wintertime, Florida does in fact get cold. Uh, you know, it doesn't freeze often. Uh, but you know, when, when you live in Florida, your, your environment, your buildings are not built for, for near freezing temperatures. If the temperature dips into the, you know, the upper 40s or even the lower 40s, it can become really uncomfortable. And so a lot of my memories of Florida are, of, I, I have memories at a very young age of going to the beach, but my older memories are of being there when it was much warmer out. And on one of those trips, my, uh, my, my grandfather, I called him Pap, uh, my dad's dad, taught me how to throw a cast net. And that was something that he had done for his entire life. And his dad uh, was, uh, was, was a boat captain, and so he was used to throwing cast nets, uh, especially to catch bait. And so he taught me how to throw a cast net. And throwing a net is really, really weird, especially the kind of casting that we did, which was you would wade out in, in water that was you know, about waist deep, and you would look for the kind of fish that you, were, that you were going for. And so you had this 20 or 30 pound net with lead anchors on, on top of it that was wrapped in the correct way around your arm and you had one of the lead pieces in your mouth and you're just holding it, waiting to see, to see those fish. And then you do this, in, this crazy motion where it's your entire body and that net opens up in a perfect circle and those weights hit the water and they sink straight down to the bottom. And then you yank a cord and those, the, those weights are pulled up underneath in sort of a, a donut shape and the fish are trapped inside of the net. And it, this is the way that nets, thrown nets, have been designed for thousands of years. They're, they haven't changed. They, did, they didn't used to use lead all of the time or, or, or other, you know, substances. They, they would use, uh, you know, pieces of stone or, you know, any kind of a heavy weight. But the basic design of the net doesn't change. It's, it, it's this waiting, full-bodied, throwing thing, and it's, it, it's just, it's so involved. You throw this net out and it hits, the, it, it hits the ground underneath the water and it just catches and scoops up everything that's there. Every single thing that's there. Now, when I learned how to do this, it was in the wintertime. And so not only was it, uh, was it messy, but it was also cold. Cold hands and, 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 and all of that. It doesn't often get that cold in, in Palestine although it does sometimes in the winter. This winter, it snowed in Jerusalem. There's some lovely pictures of that online if you want to see those. But from what we know, from what archaeology has shown us, fishing in Palestine, especially fishing around the Sea of Galilee, was primarily done with nets. 
Sometimes there were nets that were drugged behind the boat, but not often. The boats don't really move fast enough to, to, to make drag netting efficient. What the sailors would do is to sail to where they could find fish and then they would throw nets and then they would draw the nets up. Sometimes they were bigger nets. Sometimes they would let the nets down over the side and they would string the nets between two boats and they would try to catch what they could. But fishing in the Sea of Galilee is not typically about hooks and lines. It's typically about throwing nets. And in our gospel lesson today, we hear Jesus sitting in the, in the bow of a boat teaching to a crowd. The crowd is pressing in on him, and the only place that he can get where he doesn't have, have people, you know, climbing all over him is to get into a boat and have the, 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 the boat captain sail out just a little ways so that he can then see everyone and teach everyone. But then at the end of his teaching, he turns to the fishermen and he tells them, I want you to put out again. And of course, most of us are familiar with this story. We know that Peter says to him, it's been a really long night. We haven't caught anything. See, in, in, in their day, they would fish from early, early, early morning hours b- before dawn until the very beginning of the day. And then they would bring the boats back in and they would sort the catch and they would take the catch to the market and they would sell the catch. And most of the fishermen would then stay behind and they would fix their boats. And so probably that's what's going on. They've, they've finished fixing their boats. They've finished repairing their nets. They've finished laying out all of the line that they need to and untangling everything and getting everything set for tomorrow. And then this wandering teacher shows up and sits down in their boat and says, all right, let's go fishing again. And Peter looks at him and he says, Master, it's been a long day. We didn't catch anything all night long, which means that we're not making any money today. But at your word, we'll put back out. And so that's what they do. They put back out. Now, what's interesting in this passage is that Jesus doesn't say to them, put the boat back out so we can go fishing. He doesn't say that. He says to them, I want you to put out into the deep. That's the word that he uses. I want you to put the boat out into the deep. Now, we've talked about that word before, the deep, when it shows up in Scripture, especially when it shows up in the Psalms. But the word deep shows up over and over again in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking about the world around them. See, in the world of, of Scripture, they didn't you know, have, have a concept necessarily of, of planets spinning on axes, ro- rotating around the sun. They envisioned the world as existing in sort of three tiers. And in that middle tier was, was the world, okay? And above the world, there was the heavens. And the heavens are the places where, uh, where celestial creatures live. Gods live there, and spirits live there, and angels live there, and the sun and moon and stars. All of those are are creatures that live in that region that they call the heavens. And the earth is sort of like a giant island, and it floats in this sea. And that sea that they call the deep, or sometimes they just call the sea, goes down to unimaginable depths. And all kinds of things that you can and can't imagine 
live there. See, the, the deep is always only trying to destroy the land. That's all that it does. It tries to destroy creation. And so when the disciples set out into the sea, and they're setting out into the Sea of Galilee. There's no point in the Sea of Galilee where you can't see the other side, okay? This, it's, not a, it's, it's not a sea. It's a lake. It's, it's a lake that's like six-ish, six-ish miles across and like 12 miles long. So it, several seas of Galilee fit comfortably within Jessamine County. Okay, it's not it's not a big it's not a big lake. It's an interesting. It's the lowest lake in in the world. The the lowest uh, it, it, it's like seven hundred feet below sea level or something. It's very very low lake, but it's just a lake. But in their mind, even though because they don't they they don't have scuba technology, they're not you know mapping the the bottoms of the oceans. The places where lakes erupt in the middle of the landscape are places where the deep is winning. So these fishermen, they sort of make their living off of the edge of the deep. They pull some of the creatures out of the deep and that's, that, that, that's what they sell. But the sea is a scary place. The deep is a scary place because it represents everything that is opposed to the order of the heavens. God sets a boundary between the deep and the dry land. God establishes that that, that point at which the sea doesn't go any farther because God is the Lord of the sea. But Jesus says to these men who are fishing on the shore of Galilee, go back out. I want you to put the boats back out into the deep. And it's there in the deep that they find an incredible bounty. Something miraculous happens. They put their lines out. They put their nets down. They reach into the deep and they draw out life. Life that's going to sustain them. Life that's going to sustain their family. And when that happens, Peter recognizes it. And he says, Lord. He looks at Jesus and he says, Lord. He doesn't say master. That's what he said at the beginning. He calls him master, which is a a polite way of saying sir or mister. But now he looks at Jesus and he says to him, Lord. Lord, depart from me. Jesus, he recognizes in Jesus God's presence in a unique way sitting in his boat, and he says to him, go away. I can't sit in the boat with you. It's not safe for me. Which is true. It's not safe for us to sit in the boat with God. It's not safe for us to sit in this boat with God either. And yet here we are, doing this thing that's not safe. Because it's where the master is. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah came into the temple and he saw the Lord enthroned in majesty. And when he saw the Lord enthroned in majesty, he said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. 
But God doesn't go away. And God doesn't push Isaiah away, does he? God reaches out and touches Isaiah and makes him clean. And Peter, sitting in the middle of his boat, sitting in the middle of his workday, sitting in the middle of his cubicle, his office, meets God face to face. And he says, you have to go away. It's not safe. But Jesus doesn't go away. And he doesn't send Peter away. What does he do? He calls him. Because God doesn't go away. When we encounter God, God doesn't go away. Sometimes we run away. Sometimes I run away. You know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but sometimes we run away, but God doesn't go away. God is still there. God is still present with us in those places, calling us to do incredible things. Jesus doesn't depart. Instead, Jesus gives him a new life and a new calling. He says, from now on, you are going to cast your net into the deep and draw people out alive. You are going to reach into the deep and from now on, you will draw people out alive. Some of our translations just say you'll draw, you will, you will fish for men or you will fish for people. But Luke says you will draw people out alive. You're not going to pull them into a new world where they drown. You're not going to pull them into a new world where you hang them up on lines. You're not going to pull them into a new world where you sell them in the marketplace and make a living off of them. You're going to pull them out and give them life. The people in the deep that you're going to fish for are drowning and you are going to save them and draw them out of the deep. You're going to draw them out of all of the forces that are opposed to God's will and God's rule. All of the forces that try to destroy his creation. You're going to reach into those dark places and draw out people alive. Here's the truth for us today. Some of us are in those dark places. Some of us today are in those dark places. And we're waiting and watching and longing to be drawn out. Maybe it's all of us. Maybe it's just part of us. Maybe there's parts of all of us today that are drowning in the forces of chaos. The anti-creation forces that are trapped in idolatry, that are trapped in wickedness that are trapped in death and brokenness. Maybe there are parts of all of us that are stuck there, waiting to be drawn out alive. And maybe for some of us today, we're just sitting in the bow of the boat after having worked a very long day, ready to go home and put our feet up and prepare for another day. And Jesus is here today in this boat for all of us, wherever we happen to be. For some of us, he's in the bow of the boat, sending people to draw us out into life. And for some of us, he's sitting in the bow of the boat, calling us to reach over the side of the boat and draw each other out of those places 
That's us today. That's what Jesus is calling us to do, to recognize in our own lives the places where we need to be rescued, the places where we need to be healed, the places where we need to be saved. And he's calling you and I to open up our eyes to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us to find those places in other people that are lost or hurting or broken or dead to be the hands, the nets that reach out and draw each other out alive. Jesus is here today for us, for both of those things, because there's places in my life where I need to be healed, and I need you to reach into my life and make me whole. I need you to be Jesus's presence in my life, and there are places in your lives that need to be healed and made whole, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to see those places and to speak truth and love and peace and healing and life to those places in your hearts and lives. Every single one of us here today, every single one of us listening today has those places in our hearts. And our response, instead of saying, Lord, I am not worthy, woe is me, is to say that Jesus is with us. God is here. The Father is among us. The Holy Spirit is in the midst of his church, in the midst of his people, in this boat this morning and he's calling us because Jesus meets us in the deep and he meets us at the shore and there are places in my life that are in the deep and there's places in my life where I'm sitting at the shore but today he is inviting you and I to experience his presence to receive his life and his healing to receive hope And he is calling us, challenging us to trust more. To trust deeper. To extend our hands, our arms, our lives into each other's hearts and homes. To reach over the side of the boat and pull each other out of the deep. To draw people out alive. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for checking out Thin Places today. If you were blessed by your time with us and want to know more, check out anchor.fm forward slash thin dash places for more homilies, devotionals, and worship from St. Aidan's Church in Nicholasville, Kentucky. And make sure to follow us and leave a comment and join us again next time in common prayer, common worship, and common life. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Father is restored.